I was elected after a very hard three-week campaign. Minette Doderer from Iowa City became a member of the Iowa House of Representatives after a special election in 1964, which began her three and a half decades in the Iowa legislature. You know, I remember when feminist was a wonderful term, but it's been demeaned out there in the public how we're going to go to hell if we believe in equality. During her service, she challenges the double standard women face in politics. Women are not only here to stay in the United States in public life, but that we are not freaks. This is From the Archives, a podcast from Iowa Public Radio featuring recently rediscovered historic audio from our archives. On this episode, former legislator and two-time candidate for Lieutenant Governor Minette Doderer. I had the audacity one day to tell a nice reporter how I wanted to be referred to. Representative Doderer fought against the common practice of reporters not addressing her in stories the same way they do men. Women politicians are seen in a different light than male politicians. In that time period, for a woman to kind of call out the press for sexism was unique because that could so easily be perceived as complaining or whatnot. Kelly Winfrey is a professor at the Greenlee School of Journalism. There is an incorrect assumption that if someone gains something, then someone must be losing something. We've been trying to make the laws apply to both male and female because if you look through the Iowa Code, you would think no laws applied to women. She tries to focus it back on what matters to bring people back to this is what the issues are about. I guess all I'm asking you is treat us like you treat male politicians. That's all. Former Iowa lawmaker Minette Doderer has frank conversations with reporters in the 1970s and 80s on this episode of Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives. I'm John Pimple. makes any difference whether we have a Democratic lieutenant governor or Republican. Democratic Senator Minette Doderer is a candidate for Iowa's lieutenant governor in the 1970 election. I just happen to think that it's more important that I get elected, whether I'm a Democrat or Republican, because the things that I want for Iowa, I think, are the things that the people want for Iowa. It's October 1970, and Senator Doderer from Iowa City is part of a panel discussion with University of Iowa journalism students. She talks about her political opponent, Republican incumbent Lieutenant Governor Roger Jepson. Senator Doder, it has been stated in various press reports that Jepson is unnerved because you are a woman and because you are a forceful politician. Is this true? I don't think my being a, being a woman has unnerved him. If elected, Senator Doderer would be Iowa's first woman lieutenant governor. I think the fact that I have brought out his voting record and pointed up his reactionary voting record when he is trying to pass himself off as somewhat of a moderate or liberal has unnerved him. He hasn't liked it a bit, as a matter of fact. Do you feel that he feels uncomfortable? Well, let's say he smokes a lot when I'm around. (laughs) (laughs) Issues the state government faces in the 1970s aren't that different from those in the early 21st century. He has told the group one thing, and then he tells the public the other thing, because the group has told me what he's told him. That's on uh, public aid to private schools. He's told the hierarchy of the Catholic Church that he supports it, but he won't say it publicly. Through the 1960s, schools were funded mostly through property taxes. I think the citizens of Iowa have told us that they do not wish any more property tax increases, and uh, this is the only source of income that the schools now have, which is property tax increase. We're going to have to look to the income tax. When asked about significantly increasing penalties for possession of drugs, she does not support it. 
She also says at this time she doesn't support the legalization of marijuana, but suggests she is open to it if research indicates it does not have harmful long-term effects. I think we need to see a great deal of, of investment in the educational process on drugs to spend money to inform people on what drugs actually do do. Now, the legislators don't even know. All we have is these images of how terrible drugs are, but I'll bet you talk to the average legislator and they don't know the difference in drugs, they don't know the names, they don't know anything about them. They have the idea that everybody's using them under age 30, and beyond that, their knowledge is pretty skimpy. Before 1990, lieutenant governors were elected independently of the governor. If Doderer wins the election and the Republican incumbent Governor Robert Ray is re-elected, the state would have both a Democrat and a Republican at the head of state government. I don't have that big a quarrel with the things that Bob Ray stands for. The only quarrel I have with him is that he hasn't stood up for them and made his legislators go along, his own Republicans go along with his program, which is the platform of the Republican Party. The present lieutenant governor... Uh, is in charge, or any lieutenant governor is in charge of implementing the platform of the party that wins. And the present lieutenant governor implemented less than 50% of it. I could have supported much more of that Republican platform. Doderer continues to attack her Republican opponent, Lieutenant Governor Roger Jepson. You know, we excuse people of our own party because they haven't done something. And this is what I, the fault I find with Bob Ray. If he had been a real strong leader, we would have had a lot better legislation, legislature last time because he would have criticized his own lieutenant governor in the press. And when, usually when politicians get criticized, they shape up in a hurry. She says politicians need to do a better job of educating citizens about democracy and reinforce that it requires an investment of time and research. They haven't made any good suggestions on how we should change the political systems except Overnight, they'd like to have us either legalize marijuana or not legalize marijuana. Well, you don't start there with that kind of a controversial question. You start someplace a long place, a long way back. And concerning elections... I think we have to change our laws to make it as easy as possible to vote. The government should go out and try to register citizens, rather than making it so difficult for citizens to vote. Doderer says often voters aren't given information about important issues and too many campaigns cloud or oversimplify them. You know, you remember all the slogans from the past. Uh, they're certainly not very enlightening. I think people have discovered that the simple solutions, the slogans, the packaging of candidates as we have on television, which is becoming so predominant, uh, isn't going to solve their problems. And out of their frustration maybe has come apathy. They don't know which way to go. During Doderer's campaign, she is often asked questions about being a woman politician. I had a man tell me just yesterday that he would, had planned not to vote for me, even though he was a Democrat. And I asked him why. And he said, well, I'm still the kind of man that likes to open doors and light women's cigarettes. You know, it was, so it was simply reduced to the fact that if I became lieutenant governor, somehow all women would not allow men to light their cigarettes and open doors. And what he doesn't realize is that I like to have doors open for me, and I like to have men light my cigarettes when I smoke. And, uh, you know, it's really irrelevant, the whole thing. It's too bad. Senator Minette Doderer speaking with a panel of University of Iowa journalism students in October 1970. The senator did not win the 1970 election for lieutenant governor. She continued in the Iowa Senate through 1978. That's when she mounted another campaign for lieutenant governor, but lost. However, she didn't stay out of politics for too long. I had a press conference. You know what the first question there was? Well, how is it to be a woman? She was unique for her time. Kelly Winfrey is a professor at the Greenlee School of Journalism. 
She says Doderer isn't often remembered as a trailblazer, but she should be. Given how outspoken she is, how good at her job she was. Why would anyone have to point out the fact that I'm a woman? I mean, don't they give the public credit for anything? <laughs> Minette Doderer tells reporters face-to-face -face what they're doing wrong. Next, on Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives, I'm John Pimble. In the 1960s, Minette Doderer began her public service with two terms in the House of Representatives. By the 1970s, she was serving in the Iowa Senate until 1978. She ran for lieutenant governor in 1970 and 1978, losing both times. In 1981, Minette Doderer returned to the State House as a member of the House of Representatives. Politicians and the press have a love-hate relationship, and we've had that for years, and probably it's a good thing, and I hope we never get over it. In 1982, Representative Doderer is invited to speak with reporters near Iowa City. That I think if it were not for the press in this country, this would be a far, far worse country than we have. Uh, I think that the press has made it good and kept us honest. Representative Doderer says much of her interaction with journalists is during the legislative session while at the Capitol in Des Moines. Most of my familiarity with the press is the Capitol Press Corps. And they are just like the politicians there. We run from one thing to another. We never have time to quite finish anything up. We never quite have time to research our issues. And for the journalists, it's even worse because they have to try to cover the entire scene. And politicians tend in their debate to talk shorthand. But who has time to figure all that out and get it in their story? So when the issue gets really complicated, the press is inadequate as politicians, and we all make mistakes then. But let's get to what the media does to women. And I want to say at the onset of that, most of that is unintentional too. But nevertheless, it sets the tone for the fact that women in public life are freaks. The majority of legislators and politicians in the 1980s are men. Doderer points out that in a news story, a man's title and name is always written, for example, as Representative Joe Smith. Then in subsequent references, it's by title and or last name, like Representative Smith Says or Smith Says. But for women politicians... What do you call a woman when she gets in print? Like Mary O'Halloran, they gave her a title state representative and then Miss O'Halloran. Those sort of things were uh, examples of how women are marked differently than their male counterparts. Kelly Winfrey is a professor with the Greenlee School of Journalism and coordinator of research and outreach for the Kerry Chapman Katz Center for Women in Politics at Iowa State University. In that time period, for a woman to kind of call out the press for sexism was unique because that could so easily be perceived as complaining or whatnot. So then we have a story about Judge Beck's joint custody. Doderer reads more recent newspaper stories where women are not referred to in the same way as men. Janet Johnson, an Iowa Court of Appeals judge. We don't even start with her name as judge. We give her that later. But <clears throat> then we talk about Ms. Johnson, Ms. Johnson, Ms. Johnson, Ms. Johnson, and we never refer to her again as a judge. I think that it goes to this expectation that women are somehow different and we have to treat them by their gender. Much of the press really treats women as freaks. 
As a matter of fact, they have to make it clear what freaks they're talking about because they say women tennis players, women journalists, the woman politician, the woman candidate for governor, the woman everything. She uses the phrase, we're not freaks. And I, I thought that was so powerful because women are not as common in those spaces. We have to point out the fact that they're different. I had a press conference. You know what the first question there was? Well, how is it to be a woman? <laughs> now that's a tough question. Because I don't know how it is to be a woman because I have nothing to compare it with. So, and those are the kind of answers that come out of you. You know, and they're bad answers, but there is no good answer to those kinds of questions. Kelly Winfrey has co-authored research on the perception of women candidates. She references four archetypes as to how women in the public are represented in the media. These were originally identified in the 1970s by Rosabeth Moss Cantor, whose work has been used to study gender, power, and status. The first archetype is called Iron Maiden. This is the extremely tough cold, ambitious, abrasive woman that just isn't liked, mostly because she's not feminine enough. You also have the category of sex object or coverage that talks about women's sexuality. This is where a woman's appearance is defined as attractive or unattractive and becomes the focus of a story. The third way women can be represented by coverage is called mother-wife. Winfrey says this one is very common. The mother trope highlights women's traditional gender roles as a mother and a wife, uh, which has the effect of undermining their qualifications as a leader, as a political leader, and also raises the question of like who's taking care of your kids and who's feeding your husband, that sort of thing. And the fourth is called Pets and Children, where a woman's role is seen more as a novelty. This is really when women are categorized as a prop, as someone that's there to be cute and entertaining, but not really do any work, not credible in their own right, but they're as something to help men. You know, it sounds like I'm being nitpicky, and I always get accused of it. Representative Jodorow says when she ran as a candidate for lieutenant governor in 1977, quite frequently she wasn't asked the same questions as men politicians. You know, I talked about the major issues of the state and what politicians should do about them. You know, I thought I did a responsible job, and I opened it to the questions of the press. And the first question was, well, what are you going to do about abortion? I hadn't brought it up. No one else had brought it up. It wasn't an issue in my campaign. But from then on, it was an issue. As lieutenant governor, is she going to wave a magic wand <laughs> to, to change the laws of reproductive rights? No, you know, just because she happens to be a woman, she must have some sort of ulterior motive on these issues. And that's what we do to female politicians. We bring up the ones that deal with family, with health, you know, not the big ones like, what are you going to do about criminal law and all of those big things? I got divorce, child custody, all of the things that are considered women's issues. In the 70s and 80s, they had less direct communication with voters through things like social media or 24-hour news cycle. Instead, it was how journalists interpreted it, and they really chose how to report it and totally set the frame for those stories being covered. Being a woman politician, the one thing you can't argue with is we get lots of attention because there's so few of us. We really do get lots of attention. But then after you lose a campaign, you wonder if it's the right kind of attention. Because it does 
finally get through to the reader that there's something different about this person. They can't possibly quali be qualified if we have to keep asking the same kinds of things and pointing out the obvious, that they're a woman. Now, why would anyone have to point out the fact in a news story or on the TV that I'm a woman? I mean, don't they give the public credit for anything? <laughs> From 1972 through 1982, the Equal Rights Amendment was being debated across the country as states ratified it. Iowa did ratify the ERA, but not enough states approved it by the March 1982 deadline for it to become part of the U.S. Constitution. The topic, however, energized conversations about women's rights both for and against. At that time, thinking about the rise of the feminist movement and the push for the ERA, it played into the narrative that women were taking power from men. There is an incorrect assumption that if someone gains something, then someone must be losing something, that this must be a threat, that an attempt to add something uh, or to include others must be an attempt to take something away from someone else. I guess all I'm asking you is treat us like you treat male politicians, that's all. Don't treat us differently, don't treat us better, and don't treat us worse. When you write about women or when you uh, interview us, pretend we're men before you make up your stories, and then maybe we won't have anything to criticize in the next generation. Because this one has gone on much too long being treated differently. The type of coverage that women candidates have received historically has been much more focused on their femininity, issues that connect to their stereotypical role as a caretaker, while men tend to get more questions that are related to issues that are of general importance to the, the country at the time. I do think that that has gotten better. There's, a, there's an unfair standard of what we expect out of women candidates, and I think women are aware of that and don't run unless they feel like they're really qualified, even when they meet the same qualifications as a lot of the male candidates. Uh, and that's something I think the public still really has to work on. We haven't come as far as maybe we think we have. Kelly Winfrey, professor with the Greeley School of Journalism and coordinator of research and outreach for the Carrie Chapman Cat Center for Women in Politics at Iowa State University. Representative Minette Dodera retired from the Iowa legislature in 2000. In 2005, she died in Iowa City at the age of 82. This is From the Archives, an eight-part podcast series exploring significant points in history that took place in Iowa. It's based on rediscovered recordings found in 2022 from Iowa Public Radio's archive. In previous episodes, we covered the Equal Rights Amendment. And the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution should not be debatable. It does not give any rights to women at all. The race riots of the late 1960s and a Congressional Commission's finding on the cause. We said it was white racism. And how some black people saw a different way to approach racial tensions. The major movement questioning the values of this society is black power. We also highlight an Iowa visit from one of the most prominent civil rights leaders in U.S. history. Any nation that feels that it can stand alone is sleeping through a revolution. And hear from the world heavyweight champion sharing the consequences he faces for standing up against the war in Vietnam due to his religious beliefs. 
I can't break away from the Muslim religion because if I did, where would I go? And a former vice president encouraging more military involvement in that war. I believe it is time to quit being defensive about our role in Vietnam. And our first episode features the only Iowan who became president, sharing what he thought to be the biggest threat in the 20th century. The menace of communism has become worldwide. Listen to the whole series of From the Archives from iowapublicradio.org or your favorite podcasting app. I'm your host, John Pemble. Producing this series with me are Catherine Perkins, Kathan Troutman, and Rick Brewer. Additional help comes from Matt Searin, Dennis Reese, Andrea Hansen, and Jordan Bonson. Funding comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities. From the Archives is a production of Iowa Public Radio.